We just want to say welcome to Sisterhood. We want to celebrate all that God has done so far this semester and sit at the edge of our seats tonight for what he's yet to do in this lesson. Amen? Amen. Amen. For the past several weeks, we've been studying our true identity, that is our identity according to the true word of God. And we have learned that as children of God, only he gets to determine our worth We esteem what he has to say. He tells us that we are three-part beings. We are spirits with souls living in bodies. He tells us that we've been given the mind of Christ. He tells us that we've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That we are healed, that we are set apart for him. All of this is such great news, yes? And so I want to continue in the good news by telling you today that you are redeemed. That is the title of tonight, today's lesson, Lesson 7, I Am Redeemed. Now, before we discover what redemption is all about, we need to back up just a little bit and talk about something that's not so great, and that is sin. Just a three-letter three little, three letter word, but um, it's a powerful one. And ever since the Garden of Eden, sin has been a problem. Sin, as just that little word, is even difficult for some people to say. We use words instead like wrong choice or um, mistake or poor decision. But the truth is all of humanity has a sin problem. So I would like to define the word sin. In the Greek, it's hamartia. Literally means missing the mark. Now, most of us have at one point or another in our lives thrown darts at a dartboard, Yes. You've at least seen a target, and you know that a perfect score would arrive only from hitting the bullseye. Now, if you've ever thrown darts with me, you know we have, um, at our cottage, we have a dartboard that we post on a pine tree, (laughs) and the kids are always like, oh no, here comes mom, because when I throw the dart, it generally doesn't even hit the board. It goes beyond the tree and into the thicket behind, and then we we lose the dart forever, but... Um, The point being here in the word sin, this word sin literally means missing the mark. And if this dartboard idea was life, then living a sinless life would mean every time we throw, we hit the bullseye. Of course, that's an impossibility. Missing the mark means sin, failure, offense, taking the wrong course or wrongdoing. So to be honest, if we're just honest with ourselves, we can all admit that at one time or another, we've missed the mark. Yes, we've failed from time to time. We've done the wrong thing. The Bible concurs. In Romans 3.23, we see, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Raise your hand if you're not part of all. Mm -hmm. If you stop and think about this, it's really something. There's not one person on the whole planet that is exempt from all. And John cautions us to not live a life of denial where sin is concerned because that then is deception. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Scripture urges us to humbly present ourselves before the Lord, to speak with him, to talk to him, to echo the words of David even, to examine our hearts for that thing of sin. Psalm 139, 23 and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart and try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Of course, the biggest problem about sin is that it separates us from God leaves us with this chasm between us and God. Unfortunately, when we give our lives to Christ, when we become saved, we become believers, we accept Jesus' redemptive work, that separation because of sin is removed 
by the blood that he shed for us on the cross. But another problem with sin is that, and really it's a reason for studying redemption tonight, is that sin traps. It binds. Sin enslaves. In John 8, 34, Jesus answered his disciples and he said this, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Now, as was just noted, all commit sin. And so this means that all then would qualify as being slaves of sin. In Romans 6.16, it says, Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? We could think of it this way. A person is a slave of that to which she gives her obedience. Or, put another way, a person is a slave to that which she recognizes as her master. A person having control over the action of another. That's what a master is. Or to master is to be the principal or leading force. So if we can kind of let all that sift together then, it's just let's make this real personal to say this. The question becomes, who or what is my master? Is sin my master or is Jesus my master? Think of it this way. To whom do I give control? Who or what is my focus? Who or what leads me? governs my heart, my decisions. To what or whom, to whom do I give my obedience? We've all had seasons or days or moments when we've allowed fear to master our lives or worry or lust or comparison or anger or gluttony or fill in the blank. We've allowed it to become a principal force in our lives. We have given it control over our thinking. Knowingly, excuse me, or even unknowingly, we let the sin govern our choices and our actions. It's at the forefront. And without even realizing it, and certainly without wanting to, we become then slaves to those things, those sins that we obey, by giving them this place of preeminence. Somehow, sometimes we allow the sin that we're trying so hard to avoid to become a master in our lives. And as a result, we get caught. We get bound. Try to visualize what it would look like to see Proverbs 5.22. The scripture says, His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he's caught in the cords of his sin. Iniquities is defined as evil, faults, sin, guilt, perversion, crookedness. Now, of course, this scripture, Proverbs 5.22, is speaking of a spiritual entrapment. But for the purposes of bringing this alive, I want to show you today a physical representation of what sin does to us. Is that okay? Yeah? So today, my friend Emily is going to help us learn about what sin does to us and this whole notion of redeemed. What, that, what does that really mean? What does it mean to be redeemed? So, thank you for your participation. And I'm going to start with this cord. And we're going to say that this cord represents sin. And for the purpose of what we're doing, I'm going to say that Emily's sin is excessive shopping. (laughs) She goes out and she shops and she spends money that she really ought not spend. And she buys things that she really doesn't need 
at all. And it's not that that's the only sin, that excessive shopping and, and purchasing things when she has no money to purchase them. But in addition, there are other sins that kind of come along with that sin. There are lies that she's told her family about where she's going to be. She doesn't tell them the truth about it. She kind of fibs and lies to justify her being gone for as long as she's gone. Um, for example... Another sin that attaches to this initial sin of the shopping thing is the sin of worry. She lays in bed at night and is fearful and worried that perhaps someone saw her out and about and they're going to tell the truth about where she's been and what she's been doing. And so that worry grips her heart and she lays in bed unable to sleep, riddled with that worry. And of course, there's probably another sin or two or three, but I'm just for the purpose of our lesson here going to talk about one more, and that is the sin of coveting. She looks at what her friends have, and she finds herself jealous for what those friends have, and she wants what her friends have, and she's going to do whatever it takes to get it. That is coveting, which is sin, and jealous, jealousy. So you can see here <laughs> that she's bound, yes? Mm-hmm. However, that's not it. She, she also, and see, here's how the enemy works. I mean, he's cunning and he's strategic. But he gets, he gets a person to engage in the sin, but then on top of that, on top of the several sins that are attached, he also heaps really strong and pervasive emotions of condemnation and guilt and shame about what she's done, what we've done, what the person has submitted to. And it kind of puts a darkness, a confusion, a cloud upon us in a spiritual sense. Can we agree that there's a problem with sin? It ensnares. Being a slave of sin is no good. And if you look with me at what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 130, verse 3, If you, Lord, should mark or take note of iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? He's saying here that iniquity is really something too heavy for us to bear. Fallen humanity simply cannot endure, cannot bear her sins or the effects of her sins. But we continue to read where we find hope in the next two verses, verses four and five, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. And I wait for the Lord and my soul waits and in his word, say word, in his word, I do hope. You need a way out of this, don't you, Emily? Yes, of course, indeed. Now, I told you earlier that this was a good lesson, that I have good news for you today. We're getting there. Are you ready for the good part? Mm-hmm. The good news is that God provides freedom from the entrapment and the weightiness of sin. He provides it to us. We have to understand something about our Heavenly Father. He has always wanted His children to be free. He will always want his children to be free. And we see proof of this in the Old Testament when we read about what he did for Israel. They needed to be able to escape the bondage of Egypt. And in fact, he brings that to pass. In Deuteronomy 7, 8, we read, The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Hallelujah. When he parted the Red Sea, he brought them out of bondage. And another place in scripture, we read about Nehemiah praying for the children of Israel. And as he did so, he referred to them as those whom God had redeemed. Nehemiah 1, verse 10. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. 
Let's just pause here to uncover what this means. God has redeemed his people from bondage. What does that mean? That he redeemed them with his strong hand and by his great power. The word redeemed is pada in Hebrew. It means to release, to rescue, deliver, liberate, cut loose, to free, and to ransom. God's desire for his children in Israel was that they be free, free from the bondage and slavery that they had been held under. So what did he do? He ransomed them through miraculous intervention, as I said, the parting of the Red Sea. This is miraculous, but here's something even more miraculous, really, and that is that our ransom can be paid through payment. It can be made through a payment. And God's plan of redemption for all of mankind was that very thing, that Jesus Christ paid the highest price for our redemption, paid the very price of his perfect life to set all people free of sin and their effects. Hundreds of years before Jesus even walked the planet, the the psalmist prophesied this in Psalm 130, verse 8. He shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. He being a reference to Jesus Hallelujah. It has always been, I keep saying this, it's always been God's plan for freedom, for Jesus to redeem and release, to set free, to deliver, to liberate all of us once and for all. At the end of the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, the disciples are discussing, gee, what is it that we just experienced? This was amazing and, you know, just having a whole lot to process And in their conversation, he speaks to them. Jesus urges them to believe that the prophets had indeed spoken correctly and that the promise of redemption had indeed been fulfilled, period. It had been done. Jesus declares himself as the one who sets us free in John 8, 31 through 36. Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, we're Abraham's descendants, and we've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever. Ah, but a son, a son abides forever. And therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. That verb, made free, it's so interesting in the Greek. Again, it means to liberate and acquit and set free and deliver. But here's the thing. That word is used exclusively to talk about Jesus' ability to set free. No other person, no other situation can bring about the freedom that is spoken of in there but Jesus. He's the only way. So to deduct then that he is truly the only way to freedom, we have to understand that we're not going to get free by trying harder. We're not going to get free by um, behavior modification. We're not going to get free by earning more money or gaining a better title. We're not going to get free by being on someone's good side. No, 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 no. It's only through Jesus, the truth of Jesus, and what he says about who we are and what he's done. That's how freedom is attained, by being in relationship with him, by abiding in him, by allowing his word to soak in our spirits and in our minds. Does being made free sound good to you? Hallelujah. These weights are getting heavy. Here's the thing. We all need to know how this happens. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of slow my, my sentences because I, I just am asking the Lord to really bring us a revelation because this is so, so important. Moving from the bonds of sin, the weightiness of how one sin attaches to another and another, just like we've described here. Moving from the bonds of that sin and into the freedom of redemption happens when we accept God's truth and renew our minds to it. It's as we gain a revelation of who Jesus is and what he's made available to us when we accept it by faith. That's when our liberation begins to take place. Little by little, the shackles are loosed and the cords are cut. You see, our natural-minded human inclination and our tendency is to just keep our sin in the forefront and just attempt to manage it and package it and deal with it in a way so that it won't consume us. We believe that by implementing these behavior management strategies and techniques, that somehow we're going to find ourselves free. We might make charts or set goals or engage in positive self-talk. I will not lose my temper today. I will not lose my, I'm not losing my temper right now. I am not going to, and we do these sorts of things, again, in an effort to get free. And while some of these man-made methods, Laura talked about this in week one, some of these man-made efforts may be helpful, they will not bring us into the place of freedom that we long for. They help us to a certain degree, but our freedom is not about us controlling our behaviors. Freedom is about identifying and laying hold of what Jesus says has already been done. The key to living a redeemed life is making a shift of focus. It's about keeping ourselves from spending our energy trying to work to avoid sinful behaviors and instead keeping the truth of who God says we are at the forefront. Wow, I brought my pan and maybe to your disappointment, I'm not making you dinner tonight. (laughs) Actually, you should be pleased that I'm not making you dinner tonight. But I brought this because as I was preparing, the Lord, he just makes it so practical Kristen, when you want to keep an eye on something, when it's important that you have your hands easily accessible to it, you keep it on the front burner. If I don't want something to spill over or to burn, I, I, I wouldn't put that thing on the back burner. I'd put it on the front burner so that I can tend to it quickly. And I think sometimes where our identity is concerned, we hear it, we read it, we nod our heads in agreement to it, but we somehow put it on the back burner and go on about our day to day. It's time to have what God says on the front burner, if I can say it that way. Because freedom comes when we meditate more upon who God says we are than what we strategize to do about our sin. That's the truth of it. And you think, well, Kristen, that sounds so much easier. Yeah, it is so much easier because in keeping our eyes on him and all that he says is true, you know what happens? Our thinking begins to change and our beliefs align with the beliefs of God Almighty. And little by little then, our actions follow suit. We behave in alignment with what we know to be true. It's not the other way around. This is a supernatural transformational process. If I would share with you Katie, you might want to plug your ears, but a long time ago, before I knew Jesus, I had a really foul mouth, and I cursed, and I swore, and I took the name of the Lord in vain, so much so that I would be kind of nervous getting in front of my sixth graders to think, man, I hope I don't slip up today, 
that would not be a good role model. I'm just being honest with you. But you know what? When I came to know the Lord, and it began to put the things of God on the front burner of my heart, and I began to learn that I've been made a new creature in Christ Jesus. Behold, the old is gone, and all things have been made new. And that my mouth was given to me to declare the praises of my God. And that my mouth was given to me that I might speak life. That powerful things happen when I speak out what God says. Guess what? Cursing went away. Me saying, oh my, you know, it went away. I didn't have to work on not swearing anymore. It wasn't like that. It was just the contrary. I share that as an encouragement. I hope that you can apply whatever it is that maybe you've been battling with and just apply what I just said. And instead of looking at what you're battling with and the sin that seems to be pestering you, instead look and see what God says and meditate on that with the front burner Put it on the front burner of your heart and mind, and in, in time, your behaviors will align with that truth. The further along we go, the more we come to realize that only Jesus, say Jesus, can set us free. He redeems. So our sin problem is solved because Jesus redeems. Now, he sent, God sent Jesus to redeem us from the law and from works and rules and regulations. He sent he sent his son to liberate us from sin and the effects of sin. In Galatians 4, 4 through 8, it says, When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that he might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Think of it. He did what was necessary for us to be drawn into his very family. He purchased us, so to say. He paid the very price of his life for you and for me. He understood the bondage of sin. He, he did not want this to be our reality. This picture was not acceptable to the Father. He said, I'm getting them out of this predicament by sending my son Jesus. He paid the price for our freedom from sin. In John 19.30, upon breathing his very last breath, what did Jesus say? He said, it is finished. To Tetelestai. That word means, or I should say, in the New Testament times, that word was stamped, to Tetelestai, upon a receipt or a banker's note to say, the price, the, the price has been paid in full. So when Jesus hung upon that cross and he said to Telestai, he said there, everything that needs to be done is done. He said, I've paid the price to buy sin and the effects of sin to keep them free. I imagine Jesus doing that and in my heart, I can't help but whisper to him, Lord, thank you. I don't deserve that. I couldn't earn it, but you've done it nonetheless. And so I humbly receive it by faith. Will you respond to him as well? Will you allow yourself to receive the freedom that Jesus bought for you? Stop just thinking about it. And even right now, whisper to him, Lord, I receive. I receive your freedom. 
I receive it. I can see it better today. I receive it. And as you do so, the sin then fades into oblivion and freedom comes into full view. Recognize what he did for you and receive it. You know, in 1 Peter, it writes about the fact that we weren't redeemed with things that could be corrupted like silver and gold. We were redeemed with the precious blood of the perfect Lamb of God. And he redeemed us, the Bible tells us, from the curse of the law. I want to explain this a moment. Because in the Old Testament times, that law was so, it was so high, so impossible to meet, people ended up, because they were not perfectly obedient, under a curse. That is, that bad things were allowed to come upon them. You can, excuse me, read all about that in Deuteronomy 27 and 28, should you desire. But in 28, 15, we read this. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all of his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, all of these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And then it goes on to list a multitude of curses, including mental confusion, diseases of every kind, poverty, lack, broken relationships, hunger, failure, on and on. But here's the thing. God's plan didn't end there with people receiving curses. God's plan continued on into the new covenant, the promise of redemption through Christ Jesus. In Galatians 3.13, the Bible says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. When he hung on the cross, he took the curses for us so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. Do you hear this? Do you hear it? As New Testament believers, we don't have to live under the curse. Ladies, that's us. Note that it's in the past tense. Christ has redeemed. E.D. He has done it. He's already done what needs to be done to give you and I victory and freedom. Hallelujah. The problem isn't with him. Please, 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 do not spend one more moment wondering if it's his desire for you to bear lack, right? If it's his desire for you to be depressed or sick, all of those things are under the curse. And he has redeemed, he has loosed us from the curse. Rick Renner says this, Jesus' sacrificial death didn't only pay the penalty for our sin, his death removed us from living under the curse henceforth. Here's another way to think of it. We don't need to get free. We are free, amen? The devil has no legal hold on believers, not anymore. So we need to stop wishing we could get free and thinking about what's keeping us from freedom and instead shift our thinking to align with the truth of God's word. Say this just for fun, I am free. Hallelujah. Now I'm preparing and praying and listening to heaven. I, I sense like the Holy Spirit showed it to me this way and maybe this will bless somebody. But imagine being imprisoned. I want you to imagine yourself imprisoned and contained. You're behind bars and you're under the impression that the cell door is locked shut. And days and weeks and years perhaps you've spent in this place. Only to learn that in reality that lock isn't locked. That that door is actually open and you're already free. You just didn't know it. Mm. So, 
Now you know. Now you know. What are you going to do? Are you going to stay in the cell? Are you going to stay in the cell? No. no. We're going to push the door open. It doesn't take much. You just give a little shove, a little kick, a little tap, a little elbow. Do it however you want to do it and just nudge that door open. Take a step. John 8.36 in the Amplified, Jesus says this, If the Son liberates you and makes you free, then you are really and unquestionably free. Let's stop questioning. Amen? Remember what it says in Galatians 4, 7? Therefore, you are no longer a slave. Your identity has changed. So right now, here and now, we're going to receive our freedom. It was purchased for us more than 2,000 years ago. And since that time, I don't know, perhaps until this very moment, it's just kind of been sitting on a shelf or on the back burner, so to say, waiting for you to take it. And today's a good day because today we're going to take it. Hallelujah. So Emily, I'm guessing you're ready to take it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Emily, he loosed your shackles. Oh, I am free. <laughs> Hallelujah. And he cut the cords. I'm free. And he removed all the chains. I'm free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He said, it is finished. I am free. Glory to God. Hallelujah. This sounds good because it is good. The truth is good, so let's walk in it. Amen? All right, so again and again in Scripture, Paul tells us to put on our new identity, doesn't he? He says, put on this and put on that. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So I want to encourage you as just one little example here of how we can do that, demonstrate how this works. I'm going to read a verse that speaks to this whole thing. And Emily is going to lead you in declaring a statement that has been personalized in conjunction with the verse. It should appear on the screen for you. So I'm going to read the verse. You're going to declare it and declare it like you mean it. Yes? Yeah. All right. We're going to do three of these. Are you ready? All right. The Bible says this, Ephesians 5, 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. I am no longer in darkness where my freedom is concerned. I walk as a child of light. Hallelujah. And Romans 8, 2 says, And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Because I belong to him, the power of his spirit has freed me from the power of sin. Hallelujah. Galatians 5.1 says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Jesus Christ has set me free. I will not be tied up again. Hallelujah. You are free. Now walk in your redemption. Hallelujah. Sisters, we are children of God. We have been redeemed. Yes, we're not subjected to do's and don'ts. We're not subjected to staring at the sin. We are to come under what he says. We are to focus on the enabling power of the most high God who lives and moves in us. In him, we are free. Now I want to share with you one last verse. I'm going to ask you to read it with me. In Hebrews 12, we see a beautiful, well-described passage of what it is to be redeemed children. Let's read this together, all right? 
12, 1 and 2. Let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance, unnecessary weight, and that sin which so readily, deftly, and cleverly clings to and entangles us, and let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence the appointed course of the race that is set before us, looking away from all that will distract to Jesus. Ladies, may you be constantly aware that Christ has paid in full for your redemption. Your freedom has been purchased. It is finished in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Hallelujah.